This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, I am so excited to welcome Eric Taylor to the show. I found Eric, also known as the Breastfeeding Father on Instagram, based off of recommendations from so many of you in this community. Eric is completing his dissertation in clinical psychology, and his research focus is around exclusive breastfeeding, and his current dissertation work is focused on African-American fathers' attitudes towards exclusive breastfeeding. I have never come across somebody like Eric with the perspective that he has on how to get engaged with and dive into the breastfeeding process. His whole focus and platform is on supporting dads and partners on how they can get in there and be involved in this nursing and breastfeeding journey. In today's episode, we get to know Eric a little bit and how his platform came to be. We discuss the myths that we internalize as mothers and fathers that keep us stuck in these feeding norms and rules. And Eric shares some really helpful and practical ways that dads can get involved in the breastfeeding journey and we can start to shift these dynamics. He also discusses how breastfeeding is far more likely to succeed when we've got this kind of support and partnership along the way. This was such an interesting and empowering conversation for both moms to listen to and also to send to partners if it's something that you guys have been in conversation about. I can't wait for you to dive into this conversation with Eric. Hi, mamas. I have an exciting announcement to make. The Happiest Mother merch collection is growing. We've been working hard to bring you new designs and inspirational mom gear because hashtag mom life is hard. If you need a touch of humor to brighten your day, a motivational message to lift you up, or a reminder of solidarity, we have you covered. Our new line includes brand new mug designs, coffee tumblers to keep you from having to microwave your coffee yet again, water bottles, and onesies. That's right. You can now show off your adorable happy as a mother baby while reminding yourself that we're all in this together. Know a mom that's going through a tough time? Our merch doesn't just make a nice treat for yourself. It's also a perfect gift to help other mamas keep it real and stay motivated. Shop our new collection at happyasamother.co slash merch. That's happyasamother.co slash merch. Don't forget to tag me on social media showing off your new mom gear. I love to see photos of all of the mamas out there loving your Happy as a Mother products and inspiring other moms. Snag your merch now at happyasamother.co slash merch. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. 
Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on the show. You were highly, highly recommended by my community, actually. That's how we came in contact and I found you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I have to say, out of the very limited dad pages, like air quotes that there are out there, I have never seen one from your perspective. So I'm so curious to understand your journey and how you started to lead a breastfeeding page for dads and partners. Yeah. So actually, I started thinking about sort of this process a long time ago during undergrad and taking child and adolescent psychology courses. I started to see a pattern of when you're talking about parenting and child development and outcomes, we're usually talking about the mother-baby diet. Mm. And so I started to say, what about me? Mm-hmm. What is my role in my child's development? How do I have a part in the great outcomes of my children? And I basically got no answer. Mm. And I remember one professor said, yeah, you know, you're right. There's never a conversation about dads. And when there is a conversation about dads, it's usually about discipline. Hmm. It's usually about how I structure my kids, especially my sons, to be who I want them to be sort of in a disciplinarian type of sense. Right. And so I am very much so not that guy. I am very much so a hands-on. I'm with my kids. I do things with them. You know, I'm very much so a part of their outcome and their development. And I watch their outcomes and their development. And so I had a problem with that. And I knew that there was a gap there that I needed to fill. Fast forward to now, my wife was pregnant and we talked about how we were going to nourish our baby. And she said that she wanted to breastfeed. And I said, okay, awesome. I have no idea what that means. Right. I don't know anything about the breastfeeding process. And so me being, you know, a research guy and and being in psychology field, I started to do some research and started to look for articles about what is a father's and partner's role in the breastfeeding process. And I found nothing. What I did find was, hey, here are seven things that you can do to make breastfeeding easy for your partner. Bring snacks, bring water, make sure something good's on the TV. Don't be annoying. And those are all great. Those are things that we need to know for sure how to, but I should know that already. I should already know how to take care of my partner and do all those things before our baby comes. And so I wanted to know, What is my role as far as if something goes wrong? What is my role if my partner becomes frustrated and the process is not working? What do I do? Mm. What do I do when we're in the hospital and our baby goes to the NICU and she's still in the delivery room? How is this breastfeeding process supposed to happen? And so I didn't find that. And so I saw, hey, there's a gap here. This is something I need to fill, and now is the time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's how I came about. 
It's really fascinating to me. I am like up to my eyeballs in a project on cognitive and invisible labor right now. Mm -hmm. And we talk about these patterns and roles that we find ourselves in, in typically motherhood and, and in fatherhood in sort of various domains. But we talk about how these patterns are like laid very early on in our pregnancy and postpartum journey because so many things feel dependent on mom sort of biologically speaking, you know, not everybody nurses. And I would say when we're talking breastfeeding, we're talking the actual act of like feeding, but also pumping and like exclusively pumping and providing bottles and things like I think nursing is maybe the umbrella term for us to consider. But like this load disproportionately falls on mom in these early years. And then we get gridlocked in these really ingrained patterns from an early time. And what I'm hearing you say, like in your curiosity is like, wait, how can I be involved in this? Like this shouldn't all be my wife, nor do I want it to be like, I want to know what my role is in this. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is, is it shouldn't be that way. Hmm. All the, the things shouldn't fall on mom. So I realize that I can't nurse. My body is useless in that sense. But at the same time, if my wife pumps, I can bottle feed the baby. I can give her a break so that our baby is not attached to her 24-7. She can go and take a shower. She can take a nap. Uh, she can do anything that she needs to do because our baby has two parents, not mm. just one. And it shouldn't be that my partner is the sole provider for our baby. Mm. It's so interesting. It causes me to reflect on my early parenting experience, right? So I have three boys. And with my first, I think based on just like social expectations and me feeling like I'm going to conquer this new mom role, like I feel like I like sort of maternal gatekeep to like felt the need that I was mm -hmm. going to be the one, like I need to be the one to figure this out. This is what moms do. My instinct should kick in and like all these things. Like I felt a real sense of like, this is on me to figure out. And by the time I hit my third child, let me tell you, <laughs> it was a totally different story. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just can't keep up with that level of perfectionism and like you've adjusted your expectations. You've reconciled your role a little bit differently. And I too had a very supportive partner that was very like, like desired to be involved in whatever way he could. And so for us, by the time we hit like baby number two, three, that started to look like nights when I really needed restorative sleep or when we could juggle it, he would get up, bring baby to me to nurse, then take them back and do their burping, do their changing, you know, rock them back to sleep or whatever. And some of those sleep disturbances fell more to him than they did to me, even though I was nursing. And so I feel like there's two pieces here, essentially, is what I'm saying. I feel like there's the piece of me, the mom, my own shoulds, and expectations of my role and whether I'm like willing to even ask for help or incorporate the help. And then there's also partner recognizing and figuring out like what role do I have to play here and how can I be involved? Yeah. And I think there's several pieces to that mm. actually. And one is like you said in the beginning, our societal norms and what we think motherhood and parenting should be. It should fall on the mom to do all those things. It should fall on the mom to be the primary parent. And that's what you should be doing. 
So we're fighting against that right now. We're fighting against the idea that our children have more than one parent. We're also fighting against the societal norm role of fathers and what fathers Mm. should be and how dads should just go to work and come home and be that disciplinarian, come home and, and kind of, you know, kick their shoes off and grab the newspaper or watch the news and just sit there and watch kids run around as as mom does everything. And so we're fighting against that. But we're also fighting those roles within each other because you're right. Moms do gatekeep a lot Mm. and fathers do as well. We're sort of gatekeeping what we thought those societal norms should be at the same time while we're saying, hey, we need to get rid of this because it's not 1930 anymore. It's not 1960. We don't do those things. But at the same time, we're still sort of holding on to them and making it tougher to let them go. And so we'll say things like, my partner is so supportive. He does this and he does that. And at the same time, we'll say, well, you know, I let him do this while I'm taking a nap or I'll let him do bath time or I'll let him do diapers while I'm doing this. It's like a double-edged sword to me because it's saying, this is what I want, but this is also what I'm keeping alive. And it makes it tough. I can guarantee you probably within our daughters, for I have two girls who my experiences with were very different. Mm. And I can say now that my daughter now, probably at least for the first three to four months, I changed every single diaper. Mm-hmm. I did every single bath. I, you know, did the things that I needed to do. And it wasn't so that my wife could get a break. It was so that I could build my bond and form my attachment to my daughter. Because there is an element of you're breastfeeding, so you're constantly doing the skin-to-skin thing. They know you. They smell you. They hear you. They know what you sound like. I need to find ways so that I can make that happen also. Mm. So that means for me changing diapers. That means for me giving baths. That means for me playing, putting on clothes, doing the things that most normally babies hate uh, to do. (laughs) But they're like, hey, these are the things that I don't like, but I know I can at least depend on this guy to keep me Mm. clean. I know this is someone other than mom that I can depend on for my safety and my well-being. So hey, I have two people instead of just one. Yeah. And it feels like it's coming directly at this piece of the perfect mother myth. So without me going into like a whole sociology lesson and unpacking all the research (laughs) here, but we've got like intensive mothering being the predominant approach to mothering in the Western world, right? And in that intensive mothering, we've got some myths and ideals and shoulds that we try to embody and live up to as mothers. One of those core myths here is that mom is the best nurturer for their child. And this myth is so problematic in a number of ways because one, it's based on like sort of gendered norms and stereotypes. And then we feel like we need to be the one and kind of gatekeep partners at times because they aren't maybe as biologically enabled to be the nurturer or to be the caregiver when it is just not actually based in any kind of biology or research that that is the case. So I feel like this myth in our minds probably gridlocks this process often. 
you know what? I want to, I want to step lightly here um, <laughs> and realize that the audience that we're speaking to, I don't want to set any fires off. But mm. we also have this thing about moms have this natural sort of magical spark mm. that says babies and moms are connected mm -hmm. automatically at birth. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. A new baby cares about surviving. A new baby cares about making it to the point where they can make it on their own. That means I need an adult human being to take care of me and to keep me safe so that can happen. If that's my birth mother, wonderful. If that's another human that can keep me safe, I don't care. Great. That's what I want to do. That's how I need to sort of further the species. There is amazing research coming from sociology from Dr. Lee Gettler that is looking at the paternal instincts of gorillas and the paternal instincts of men in the Philippines. And so what he's found is naturally when men know that they're going to have a baby or become a father, our testosterone levels naturally decrease. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because we're getting ready for fatherhood. Our testosterone levels are high because we're in competition with every other male to do the things that we need to do. Once I become a father, I don't need that as much. So my testosterone levels, which are what keeps me aggressive, starts to decrease because I don't need to be so aggressive anymore. My mm. goal is accomplished. And then when my baby is born they decrease even further. And what's interesting about that is when you talk about maternal gatekeeping and just the idea of sleeping, mm. when if we as parents decide to co-sleep, a lot of moms will say, well, we have to figure out how we can all sleep in the bed with the baby safe from you. Or we need to figure out where you're going to sleep because the baby's going to be in the bed. Hmm. What we don't realize is that what came out of this study in the Philippines for dads is when fathers and babies sleep on the same surface, our testosterone levels again decrease hmm. because we have an awareness that, hey, my baby is in the bed, so I need to sleep, but I need to be consciously aware of my movements because my baby is here. Mm -hmm. And so we have the same paternal instincts, maybe not as high, of course, but mm -hmm. we have the same paternal instincts as moms do. We have the same caring and nurturing patterns that moms do because we're parents too. Yeah. And we want to be a part of that process also. Yeah. And it's really important too, I think, that you talked about the bond at birth and you talked about like these instincts and things. And there are some real myths around that we bond immediately with our baby, that there's this like romanticized moment. Mm -hmm. And I call BS on that. I work with a lot of clients who do not have a magical moment. Birth is messy. It is traumatizing at times. Mm -hmm. It is mm -hmm. you on a first date meeting a human when you're like, legs are in the air and there's freaking body fluid everywhere. Like it doesn't really sound like an ideal date, you know? Yeah, yeah. So 
birth is complicated and it's not as romanticized as it's made to seem. So that attachment is a relationship that builds over time and it builds over time with mom and it builds over time with dad or partner, right? So I think that it's so valid. And to speak to like maternal instincts, we are all learning on the job here. Like Mm -hmm. moms are learning, dads are learning. We Mm -hmm. are thrown into a role that we have no training for. And I'm sure that there are parts of our biology. In fact, I know that there are parts of our biology and like our neural structures that change to make room for parenting. Mm -hmm. But so much of the actual act of parenting itself is learned on the job. Yeah. So I think that it's so important for us to keep these things in mind because when we are of the mindset that we're going to be a team here and we're going to learn on the job together, and it's not just me, mom, my job to do it, or maybe from dad's perspective, he's not just like, oh, it's mom's job to do it. Like we do it as a team. We're both taking our responsibility and learning together in a way that now mom doesn't control all the knowledge and the preferences and the routines and is not feeling hedged in in this default parenting role that we kind of unintentionally build out for ourselves because of these dynamics. Yeah. And like you said, neurologically, there's something that helps us create that sort of love and attachment between moms and babies. And what happens is when our baby is born, we have the neurotransmitter oxytocin starts to release more so that when I am nursing my baby and I'm sort of holding them and I'm looking down. That oxytocin is there to help me be in love with my baby, to help me to look into their eyes and see how much I love this kid that I just created. And it's all about survival because the more I love my baby, the more inclined I am to take care of them. Mm -hmm. The more I want to see them succeed and grow and do all of those things. The more I'm going to be biased and say, I have the prettiest baby in the whole land. Mm. But here's the thing. Dads have that same neurotransmitter. We Mm -hmm. do that same thing. We look down on our babies when we're changing their diapers, when we're bottle feeding, when we're doing all of those things and we create those same connections. So our babies not only form an attachment to moms in that way, they form an attachment to us in that way. And they start to smile and giggle and and goo and gaga and all those things start to happen as they age, grow and develop. Mm -hmm. And we're very much so a part of that. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, like I know you are doing, you were down the rabbit hole here in research and your dissertation on this topic. So I'm curious to know if you have some stats on the outcomes of breastfeeding when there is support involved? Because I would imagine that, well, I know when I hear from a lot of moms how isolating and alone breastfeeding can feel in the middle of the night and undersupported, and there's a lot of relationship challenges and abandonment feelings and lots of things that can come out of this time. Like I work with moms in this Mm -hmm. capacity and I hear a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to know if support in this way impacts the breastfeeding journey in some way. Hugely. Mm. And right now, you know, in the United States, currently only about 25% of babies are breastfed. Uh, Mm. A little, maybe 25 and a half, a little more of that. And that's to what the CDC recommends is up to six months. If you can breastfeed for six months, that is amazing. If you can breastfeed for one day, that is great. Mm -hmm. But six months is the optimal time for development. 
Research shows that when dads are involved and are targeted with education about the breastfeeding process, moms are 75% more likely to not only initiate breastfeeding, but continue well beyond that six month Mm -hmm. period because they have the encouragement and support of their partner. Mm. So that might look like for a lot of people, their families may feel like, well, breastfeeding is for poor people. They may feel like breastfeeding is not something that we do anymore. Or there is the dynamic of how can I breastfeed? I have to go back to work. Mm -hmm. Once I'm at work, Am I going to be able to pump? Am I going to be able to do the things that I need to do to continue to take care of my baby while providing for our family? And when dads are supportive of that, when dads know what right looks like for breastfeeding, when dads know what right looks like for pumping, when dads know how to fix problems that may be going on or just be supportive of problems that may be going on, like a clog or babies are not latching right. When dads know how to be that calm person in the room, Mm. moms feel more comfortable because breastfeeding is hard. Mm. Breastfeeding Mm -hmm. is extremely hard. And in the beginning, and the biggest problem that I have is when you go to the hospital, you have the baby and everything's perfect. Everything's great. The world is wonderful. They put the baby on mom's chest and begin the breastfeeding process. A nurse comes in and shoves the breast in baby's mouth and off you go. Mm. The next feeding time, your nurse comes back in and the same thing happens. Well, that's not helpful for me. I mean, that's great. My baby is being fed, Mm. but that's not helpful for me because when I go home and my kid's freaking out because they need to nurse and their head's all over the place and mom is trying to shove the breast in the mouth like the Mm. nurse did and that's not working or she's trying to figure out what position I need to hold my baby in so that nursing can continue, those things don't happen right away. Mom and baby need to get in sync. Mom and baby need to figure each other out. And when that doesn't happen, both of them are now frustrated and nothing is happening. Well, when dad's there and dad can kind of, you know, calm mom down and say, hey, you know, things are going to be okay. Let's figure this out. Let's do this. Remember, that the lactation consultant said this. Remember that the doctor said, maybe if you lean back a little bit, it'll make it more comfortable for you. Maybe if we try the football hold, it'll make it a little more comfortable for the baby and they can continue their latch. Mm -hmm. Or maybe, hey, this might not be working out. Let's call a lactation consultant so they can Mm -hmm. come and assess what it is that we're doing and see maybe there's something that, you know, they know that they can, kind of tweak or adjust something and, you know, it can be a better process. Mm -hmm. It takes the dad or another person in the room to say, it's going to be okay. We can figure this out together. We can be calm. Let's take a breath, take a step back and we'll figure this out instead of mom just being there by herself, being stressed, dealing with her postpartum, dealing with the fact that I'm not caring for my baby the way I want to. All of those things are stressful and hard. And that's Mm. just not something that you should have to do by yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think back on 
my experience with postpartum. Like I often talk about this in the context of like perinatal and postpartum mental health challenges Mm -hmm. because I went through significant postpartum depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. after probably all of my kids, but really kind of came to a breaking point after my third. And I talk about it quite openly on the podcast. And if it wasn't for my supportive partner who like left work immediately, booked me a doctor's appointment, like took all of these steps that he knew to take in his supportive stance, things would have looked very different for us postpartum, right? So there's something very empowering for dads, for partners. I feel like it can either feel really helpless and powerless or with this education that you're talking about can feel a bit empowering to have some of this knowledge and this plan in the back of your mind. Yeah, and you know, it's helpful to having education. Had I had that education, on what breastfeeding should look like, it would have absolutely lessened the effect of my wife's postpartum experience, but not just that, my own postpartum experience as well. Mm. Because we don't realize that dads also, there's a process of postpaternal depression and more men suffer from postpaternal depression than other men do from depression. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that looks like because my wife is breastfeeding, where is my time to bond with our baby? Mm -hmm. Because my wife is or my partner is constantly needing to do skin to skin and nurture and care for the baby. What about me? So I feel now that I am just a person on the outside of this dynamic and I have no role, Mm -hmm. but I have a brand new baby that I'm staring at that every time. I go to pick up just starts to cry Mm -hmm. because I don't have a bond or attachment with them. If fathers are targeted with that type of education, first of all, they know what the process looks like and how stressful it can be, how to help mom calm down and baby calm down. But it also gives us an idea, okay, this is what my partner is going through. This is what this process takes. This is what we need to do together so that it gives me information so that I can tell myself, hey, this is not my fault. It's not something that I'm doing. I'm not a person standing on the outside of this dynamic. I can very much so interject myself. And that can kind of stave off some of my own depression to allow me to jump in and say, hey, let me check in with my partner. Mm-hmm. You know, I was constantly checking in, even when at times my wife doesn't know that I'm checking in, I'm checking in. I'm looking at, you know, her body language. I'm looking at, you know, the way she talks, whatever's going on in the moment. And I'll do something to interject something to kind of, you know, alleviate the stress. I'm passionate about child and adolescent psychology and people think, It's because I like kids and that's true, but it's mostly because I am a kid. Mm. So I like to joke a lot and interject things that are might be annoying at the time, but it'll be distracting Mm -hmm. and kind of take your mind off of the stress of what's going on in that situation so that we can breathe and do what we need to do to fix what's going on. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, 
It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. You bring up some really real points, like when we're talking about dads experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety, like we've got one in 10 dads experience postpartum depression. Dads are 50% more likely to experience postpartum depression if their partner is struggling with postpartum Mm -hmm. depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then we've got 18% of dads experience some sort of like clinically significant anxiety disorder postpartum. And what you're describing, this ambivalence of like, what is my role? What can I do? What can't I do? Am I going to, I touch them and they cry. Like what, all Mm. of that could feed a beast of an anxiety disorder, I'm sure, you know, 
and uncertainty in this big change. So it all sort of weaves together. And it sounds like some of that process or some of moving through that adjustment is figuring out how, I don't know, like how you're planted in this new role, right? Like you're carving out your new identity during this time. So it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a a lot of that, um, I say all the time to dads, it takes communication. Mm. It takes talking, not just when the baby comes. It takes talking during the time that, hey, we have a baby coming. What does this look like for us? What does parenting look like for us? What is our parenting style going to be? What is your parenting style? How were you raised versus me telling you how I was raised and what the things are we want for our family? And a big part of that post-paternal depression for dads and anxiety comes from what is my role? How am I going to assert myself as a father? And also, how am I going to provide for this new family that I have. Mm -hmm. It's not just me and her anymore. We now have a child or two children, uh, if we're having twins or triplets or whatever, Mm -hmm. can add more stress. So how am I providing for my family? So again, getting back to those societal norms and saying it's the dad's job to provide and it's the mom's job to nurture. Mm -hmm. And so as much as we try to get away from that, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard for dads, especially to think, hey, While my wife is at home going through this, because by the way, at least in some capacity, moms have the privilege of some form of maternity leave before needing to go right back to work. Mm -hmm. I hope, I hope that that's the case. Yeah, it depends on where. The States, this is a hot topic. It is a, a disturbing topic for me. But yeah, so you have that kind of sort of break time, even if it's only for two weeks. Well, dads go back to work right away. Now I'm at work worrying about providing for my family, but also worrying about how's my wife doing at home? Mm-hmm. How's the baby doing? You know, and depending on what my role is at my job, depending on the job that I have and where I stand with that job, I just can't leave and go home to check on my family. You know, I don't have the privilege of going home at lunchtime to see how everyone is doing. Mm -hmm. So I have to figure those things out. And that's stressful. That adds a lot of pressure to me as a father and a partner to make all of those things happen, especially when I want the best for my family. And I think that, you know, 99% of us want the best for our family. And that's what we think about. So that can add a lot of stress. Yeah, it makes me think about my husband used to commute downtown Toronto from where we lived. It was about an hour and a half commute each way. So he's gone three hours a day just in the commute. And then so he's 12 hour days Mm -hmm. downtown. And uh, at this point, I was like on maternity leave with my third and had three children, three and under. And like the amount of helpless calls he got from me in the day and then the amount of like him feeling just like handcuffed in this like – I'm not making an income. I'm off with the kids. He has to make an income, but he can't physically be there. And it's not that he didn't want to physically be there. And now fast forward four years and him and I work together full time in this business. He retired from corporate and he actually does more of the caregiving work than I do at this point. He does drop off. He does pick up. He cooks dinner. <laughs> like it's, it's a, a really interesting 
dynamic now that he has the freedom to do that we're sort of fluid in our caregiving roles you know as needed on any given day so the dynamics of the having to provide an income and all of these things really play a big role as well yeah you know i'm uh, a full-time student so i'm working from home so i am at home with our daughter every day interestingly with my oldest i have an eight-year-old from a previous marriage I had just so happened to retire from the military Mm. when she was about six or seven months old. And so before that, my mom was there and my mom, you know, took care of her and did all the things that we needed uh, for her while we were both my, I and my wife at the time were both active duty military. Mm. So my mom was there helping us take care of our baby. And then when I retired, I became the primary parent. I was the stay at home dad. While my wife went to work, she exited the military a year and a half before me. So she was back to work already full time. And I was at home as an undergrad student. Mm -hmm. And so I was a primary parent. I did everything, you know, bottles and and everything. And even at night before we went to bed, I made sure that bottles were made in case one of us had to get up in the night, whatever was done for the next day so that we can prepare for the day ahead. And now... (laughs) I am uh, a PhD candidate and I am back in that mm. same role, which gives me, you know, the opportunity to watch my daughter develop and even at the same time sort of hone my skills a lot with, you know, children development and and things like that. And it's wonderful. Uh, my wife is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is an ICU nurse, but right now she is a clinical care instructor mm-hmm. at Lakehead University. So she's teaching young people how to be great nurses now. And so that takes her away. And I am here trying to not only raise our daughter, but make sure that she doesn't feel like she's missing out. Mm -hmm. I worry a lot about her feeling like, well, our gender norms are not the same, not how they should be. Mm -hmm. You should be working and I should be at home. I feel like there might be something I'm missing. So I do my best to make sure that that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have to have open conversations about that all the time. You know, like I I was at a – like had a speaking event booked and there was going to be like 15, 1700 people there. And I got a call that they think my son broke his arm at school. Mm. And I'm like, mom should go, right? Right? (laughs) Like mom should go. But I'm like 15 minutes out in the green room for this event and I'm like, my husband's at home. He can go. He's his caregiver. Like he can go. And so wrestling those societal norms while trying to redistribute this load is a very real part of really making some change in these dynamics. But as we think about, we're running out of time. I feel like I could talk to you all day. But as we think about wrapping up here, what are some really sort of practical and concrete things that we can leave people with? when we maybe already have a bit of a breastfeeding role established or, or dad's thinking about wanting to be more involved, where are some places we can start with that? The first thing we can start is by saying and realizing that our baby has two parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not alone. Uh, we are the primary parents, not I am my baby's primary parent. And then dads need to Dads want to get involved, just get in there, man. Um, you know, change the diapers, do the playing, do the, you know, walking around and 
holding the baby and rocking and singing. You know, I like to have dance parties with my daughter mm. all the time. And I'll tell Alexa to play some music and we'll dance around the room. I'll make sure, you know, she has clothes on for the day and not, you know, running around in her pajamas all day. But do the things that, you know, whatever it is that you want to do, get in there and do it. Do bath time. Do bottle feeding. Bottle feeding, I think, is one aspect that's probably really important because there may come a time when mom is not available to breastfeed. What do I do? Because my baby still needs to be fed. So we had times when we would say, okay, in the afternoon at this time, you're going to offer a bottle. Whether she takes it or not, you're going to offer the bottle and we're going to continue to offer the bottle and be consistent with that uh, so that she knows, one, that she can take a bottle from her dad, and two, that if there's ever a situation when mom is not available, baby is taken care of no matter what. But jump in there, man. We have to sort of lean back on the gatekeeping thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot, being inclusively exclusive. And we're saying that, well, I want my partner to be involved. I want my dad to do this. And I want my kids' fathers to do this. And at the same time, we're saying, you know, I let him do bath time or mm -hmm. I let him do this. Or another problem dads may have is I'm doing those things with mom standing right behind me. Right. Which makes it difficult because she's going to say, and this is a fight that we had in the beginning a few times. She's going to say, that's not how you do it don't do that. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And I would say, no, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. This is how I do it. Either way, the goal is still accomplished. We just accomplished the goal a little bit differently because we're two different people. We have to realize that we were both parented very differently. And now we're coming together to parent together and kind of, I hope, meet each other somewhere in the middle. We have to be able to step back. If I'm going to say my husband does diapers, mom does bedtime, dad does bath time, we have to step back and let them do those things mm -hmm. and not sort of helicopter over and say, this is the way I want you to do it. Do it this way. Now, if I'm doing something unsafe or I'm not doing, I'm doing something completely wrong, please tell me, help mm -hmm. me because I'm probably struggling anyway. So tell me what it is that I can do better without sort of, you know, a ridicule or criticize, but help me do it the proper way. But then once I get that way, I'm off on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have to feel like this is something that I'm doing, not that I'm being tested on. It like flashback memories in my mind as you're talking, right? Because I for sure had some postpartum anxiety, probably worse with my first out of any of them. And I could not tolerate in my own anxiety, my baby crying. Mm -hmm. And so my mother-in-law trying to soothe him or my husband trying to soothe him. And I was just like, no, I got to, I, I got to do it. I got to do it. Right. You don't know what you're doing. Get out of the way. He's crying right? for me. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so like, and if we really have a hard time sitting there and biting our tongue and letting our partner do it, this is a really great time to enter into some therapy in the postpartum period, because this yeah. is a very real 
like postpartum anxiety is a very real thing and really can lead to lots of maternal gatekeeping, can lead to lots of different things because like you're talking about, well, step in if I'm doing something, you know, that it, or is unsafe or looks like I'm really struggling. And my perception through the lens of anxiety of what is a threat, you know. You're always like struggling. You're, <laughs> right. Like you're holding him the wrong way or something. And like really baby is fine. So so I think that this dynamic can become really intense and complicated if we've got undiagnosed anxiety or mood stuff yeah. happening. So I just mentioned that to bring it to light because I also lived through it and I'm sure I gatekeeped a lot with my husband and my mother-in-law who like graciously came over from West Africa to stay with us and give us support for three months <laughs> and all this stuff, right? You know, one of the ways that dads are particularly successful in children's development and outcome is that dads are more willing to engage in rough play, which helps with emotion regulation, control, and decision-making because it allows me to say, I'm playing rough with my dad and I can be rough and rambunctious and all of those things. But when it goes too far from me, I can say, okay, dad, that's enough. Or I can cry And my dad will realize, okay, that's too far, or let's kind of bring it back a little bit. But (laughs) the caveat to that is, while I'm playing rough with my baby, my wife is there, my partner's there like, hey, don't do that. That's too much or that. And we're having fun, but you're there like, hey, that's too much. Don't do that. Calm down. They can't take that much. And we're like, we're fine. Our baby's not made of sugar. We're going to be okay. And so that kind of gatekeeping comes in. But dads are great as far as that part of development. And that's one of our major roles is helping with that sort of emotional uh, regulation and intelligence. My mother-in-law would do this massage. So my husband's from Benin and and they would do like after bath time, this very particular massage routine and like lotion with baby. And part of it was like kind of like picking baby up by like arms and legs in a way. I don't know how to describe it unless you see it. And I was just like, Mm. (laughs) oh my gosh, no, Mm -hmm. stop. It's too much. And that was my anxiety. And so when we're talking about finding this role, um, and my husband and I, you know, several kids and now years later, I still will hover. It's still part of my nature. I'm an over-functioner and I work hard at it. But I will say, do you need me to step in right now? (laughs) <laughs> and I will just sit there because like I want to step in and I'll just say, do you need me to step in? And he'll give me a hand gesturing to go and then I will walk <laughs> away. And yeah. it's a pattern we've had to figure out. And so I so appreciate this conversation. I think this is so real for so many couples. I do want to leave off with a caveat that if we're finding that dad is disengaged, if we're finding that dad is overworking and disconnecting and avoiding That is a very real and true thing that can happen too sometimes. And to me, those would be some red flags for some postpartum mood stuff, some depression. Those are very much so red flags for postpartum depression. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's something that, you know, a lot of dads fail a lot of times to recognize um, because we don't understand that, you know, a lot of dads don't know that our testosterone levels decrease. And so we're trying to figure out, you know, hey, I was this protective, you know, run and gun guy. Why am I feeling so sad right now? Um, Mm -hmm. Why am I feeling, you know, this way? Why am I feeling I'm on the outside right now? 
And so for me, that might look like internalizing those feelings because again, society says, you know, you're a man, you should be doing this, or, you know, you're the dad, you should be doing that. And so I keep those feelings to myself and that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. I give an analogy of a pop bottle. If I sit down to dinner with a bottle of pop and that pop is my life and I'm constantly shaking it, when I open it, what's going to happen? Everything's going to come out and go everywhere. Mm-hmm. I need something and or someone to kind of sit me down and help me calm and help me process what it is that I'm dealing with that either I can see that I'm internalizing or that I'm failing to see. And that Mm -hmm. might look like me going to therapy. That very much so should look like communication with my partner. Mm -hmm. I should be able to tell my partner, hey, you know, I'm not feeling well. I tell my wife all the time, you know, today's not a good day for me. I just don't feel good. And sometimes she'll say, well, you know, what's going on? And the answer for me might be, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or the answer could be, you know, nothing. I just woke up feeling not okay. And Mm -hmm. it's okay to be not okay. A lot of parents think they have to muscle and power through and be okay. And that's just not true. You can't pour from an empty cup. I can't Mm -hmm. take care of you if I don't take care of myself. So if that means that, hey, this is becoming overwhelming and it's gone on for three to four to five days now, it may be time that I need to talk to someone other than Mm -hmm. my partner. Mm -hmm. Hopefully during that time I'm talking and I'm communicating with my partner and I'm saying, hey, this is how I'm feeling. Or my partner is saying, you know, hey, I'm noticing you being a little different. I'm noticing some things that are changing. Are you okay? What can we do to make you feel better? Or what is it that we need to talk about to figure out together? And once that, you know, gets to be a certain number of days, it might be time to say, hey, let's look at figuring out who we need to see or who we need to talk to, Mm -hmm. to kind of work through this. And I know Postpartum Support International is a great first step in terms of a resource for dads. They Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. dad groups. They're all about adjustment in the postpartum. They've got some resources there. But as we think about wrapping up, and if there are dads and, you know, people listening, even moms, partners, listening who really resonate with you, where can they find your work? Where can they engage with you and follow along? Yeah. So right now, my only platform is on Instagram. You can find me at the underscore breastfeeding underscore father. I believe you can also find that on Facebook as well. Mm -hmm. I don't engage very much on Facebook as much as I do on Instagram. So you're more likely to find me there. And if there is ever a dad that is a partner peer, anyone, um, Mm -hmm. but a dad that is going through something that is mildly or overtly recognizing something in their self that they don't understand. They just want someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of. I am always open. Mm -hmm. Shoot me a message. I think my email is there. Shoot me an email. We can set up a call. We can do anything. And then I can help guide and connect you to services in your area to help you find and get the help that you need. Mm. Yeah, I know that like Instagram is the wild, wild west. And I know that there are pros and cons that come with it. 
But I do want to just say and encourage you, like your voice is needed. And this is a powerful thing that you're talking about. And you're going to have a lasting impact on many families. So, you know, I hope so. And, and right now, dissertation is a lot. And so that's, you know, dissertation and taking care of my family are my primary focus. But yeah. I am working on education for dads. So I'm working on education around breastfeeding. For specifically targeted at dads, I am working on education for child development, specifically targeted at dads. So I have a lot of things in the works that I'm kind of on a little bit of a pause right now, but I'm kind of working, you know, both in tandem during dissertation, which is my major focus. So bear with me, stick in there with me and it's coming, (laughs) I swear. Yeah, a dissertation is a beast of an undertaking, but sure we would is. love to have you back. And I'm so curious to hear the reaction to this episode. And if there are listener questions, guys, email them in, submit them, and we'll have Eric back to unpack those questions if a bunch come in. And anytime you're ready to launch anything, you know, we're here to talk it through with you. So thank you awesome. so much for joining us today. Thank you again for having me. Wasn't that such a refreshing take and conversation about breastfeeding? Now, I know that there is a lot of work for us to do in terms of unpacking these norms in our minds, and it really does involve teamwork to disrupt these gender norms and dynamics. If this is something that you and your partner find you're in conflict about, or you see that your partner is struggling, or maybe you are struggling, Our Wellness Center helps to support moms and also fathers through their adjustment to parenthood. To learn which Canadian provinces we are in and book your free 15-minute consultation, head to happyasamother.co slash book. I'll meet you right back here, same time, same place next week, where Dr. Gertrude Lyons is joining the podcast to help us unpack the beliefs and myths that we carry into motherhood and to teach us how to lean into a more empowered form of mothering. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.